0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you to uh, Pastor Justin for his prayer, as well as uh, Kaylin and her team for leading us into uh, this great time of worship. So this week was a little bit of a difficult week for me to put this sermon together because uh, this is a massive turn, theme. And uh, it's, uh, the more I was reflecting about it, the more I was coming up with some stuff to share with you. And at some point, I thought, "Wow, this this can be a series, uh, four, you know, sermon series easily." And so I had to start about uh, thinking to cut the material in order to make it on time. Uh, so heads up, we might go a little bit longer than usual. Hopefully not. Uh, we'll see. I don't have a degree in science, but I love science. I love the topic of science and faith, especially. There is so much that we can learn about this. They don't contradict one another at all. They are perfectly harmonious when the scriptures is interpreted properly, and science is also interpreting the facts of nature properly. Uh, I have spent uh, most of my pre-pastoral uh, career and a domain that was related to science and the pharma industry, and I loved it so much. It was great. Last year, I was reading about what is called the Holy Grail of Physics. That sounds religious, but it's not. Holy Grail is a term that refers to the greatest finding ever. And basically, I was reading about what is called the unification principle, the theory of everything. In physics, there are two main theories that explains the phenomenon that we see around us. One is the general relativity uh, of Einstein uh, that uh, talks and uh, uh, refers to uh, events at the large scales, galaxies, stars, planets, black holes, and stuff like that, gravity. And there is also this other theory that relates to quantum physics which is uh, operating at the uh, sub-atomical level. And so uh, the quest is to find this theory of everything that would unify both of these theories. They work well in their respective domain, but they are somehow at odds with one another. So the theory of everything would bring and unite both theories into a whole under one umbrella, Establish somehow oneness between these two theories uh, that would be enable, that would enable physicists to explain all the physical phenomena that can be observed at the large-scale level as well as the subatomical uh, level in the world. It would be able to describe, predict, so on and so forth. That, that would be the, the discovery of the. The century. When I was reflecting about this, I thought, wow, this is amazing. It's, it's fascinating to read about that, but I thought there is something similar also uh, that is happening with God's plan and redemptive, uh, God's redemptive purpose, as uh, we will see. The coming of Jesus has to do with more than our individual salvation and the forgiveness of sins. Jesus came to, and that's what I would like to submit to you today, Jesus came to reconcile and restore oneness or shalom and four spheres, four main spheres of life. Jesus uh, came to uh, reconcile uh, between God and man, between man and man between uh, man and ourself, within our soul, and also nature. We won't have time to cover the the fourth point here today. Before we get upset about the term oneness, please let me explain what it means and what it doesn't mean. When we're talking about oneness here, we're not talking about oneness in the sense of of what we hear often on the Internet, being one with the universe, uh, some kind of an Eastern religion, Doctrine where one loses itself and the universe loses its identity but is one with the universe. We're not talking about that at all. We're talking about oneness in the biblical sense. Uh, We have example of oneness in the person of God. God is three being, uh, three persons, but one being, one God. There is threeness and there is oneness in the person of God, in the being of God. Uh, another example of oneness as well is, is, our, is marriage. We read in Genesis that the, th- the two shall leave their parents and become one flesh. Talking about a one flesh relationship. Two persons becoming one in that sense. So we're talking about, when we're talking about oneness, we're talking about an, a deep, intimate, personal connection with an object here. And these three objects are, as we said, God, uh, one another, and, and also with, within ourselves and our soul. So oneness is about connection, union, communion, resulting from the redemptive work of Christ and creation. It has to do with wholeness as opposed to brokenness. Oneness has to do with shalom. Shalom is this grand narrative of scriptures it unifies everything in scriptures it's a massive theme that's that is central shalom is the essence of the kingdom of god and it's the ultimate purpose of god oneness is the pinnacle of shalom and it's also the means towards establishing shalom Shalom appears about 250 times in the Old Testament, and it has generally three main meaning. We often heard of the word shalom as a greeting, shalom, people saying shalom to one another, but shalom is much more than a greeting. It's, it's also about peace, uh, the absence of conflict or tension between two parties. Uh, it's about harmony. It's about uh, closeness and integrity. Peaceful relationship. Uh, Greeting happens about 10% of the time the word shalom is used. Uh, Peace, uh, uh, with the absence of tension, happens about 25% of the time the word is used. And 65% of the time, the majority of the time the word is used, has to do with wholeness, with being complete. It has to do with integrity. has to do with unity, connection, as opposed to brokenness or disunity and tension. And it has other meaning as well related with uh, sometimes salvation and justice. When we read the, mo- the word peace in the New Testament, it is related with these three meanings as well. The, world, the word peace in the New Testament has these three meanings that the word shalom has. And the concept of shalom has not only to do with spiritual Uh, spiritual thing. It has ramification uh, related with emotional, psychological, mental, physical, and economical um, things as well. Here's the kicker. Jesus came to restore oneness between God and man, between men and men, and also within ourselves. Jesus came to restore, to reconcile, to repair our connections with these three relationships. Oneness and shalom, or shalom, is the holy grail of human existence. This is what everyone is aspiring to. It is the holy grail of God's redemptive purpose in this world. Redemption is about removing the obstacles to shalom namely sin and also brokenness human brokenness in order to establish this oneness and shalom why restoring shalom very simple because at the fall oneness shalom were destroyed were broken down there was this massive breakdown when it comes to oneness in our relationship with God, one another, and ourself as well as we will see. At the fall, man started to be at odds with God, started to be at odds with one another, started to be at odds with himself as well. There was a need to restore wholeness, integrity, harmony, to repair brokenness. Jesus' coming was much more, as I said at the beginning, than our own individual salvation. It's about a realm where shalom exists, and shalom is uh, the essence. It's about the kingdom of God with shalom at the center. So the first domain Jesus came to repair was between man and God. Before the fall, man was in perfect communion with God, as we can read in the book of Genesis. Man was commanded to be fruitful, to rule over the animal kingdom, was given the right to eat of every plants and fruits from the trees that were in the Garden of Eden, except eating from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as you read the story, we all know what happened. They ate of the fruit. They got deceived by the serpent. They ate of the fruit. As a result, a major separation happened between God and man. Death entered the domain of creation, entered the Garden of Eden. Man died spiritually. Man was no longer vitally connected with God at all. And we know that physical death as well followed. Later, as we read here and there, so-and-so lived until that time, that age, and died. We read that multiple times. In order to undo the result of the fall and achieve oneness and communion again, there was a need for a Messiah. And God, right at the beginning, just after the fall, gave this promise to mankind that he will send someone that would be uh, hurt and wounded by the serpent, but this person would crush the serpent and fulfill the the repair that needed to be made. God made this promise. Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. Here's how it happened. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit through a virgin birth. Jesus was conceived without sin. Jesus resisted temptation his whole life, starting at the beginning of his ministry, and was able to resist temptation and live the perfect life in order to offer a perfect sacrifice. This perfect sacrifice served as an atonement for our sins. And as a result, we were able to receive forgiveness and cleansing And this, and only this, makes us fit to be indwelled by the Spirit of God. No atonement, no indwelling by the Spirit of God at all. So the Holy Spirit enables oneness with the Father through Jesus. Him and us, us and him, because Jesus and the Father are one. And we are also one with the Father. As we read in John chapter 17, uh, as was read before, may they also be in us, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me. This doctrine that Paul expanded a little bit Christ in us, us in Christ. Jesus. Desired this oneness for us as he expressed in this uh, prayer there. Jesus prayed that we might be one with the Father as he is one with the Father himself. The relationship that he had with the Father, he wanted us to have it as well. And he prayed that we might be one with the Father as he is one with the Father. And we are one with the Father by being in Jesus. Jesus wanted us to have the same communion with the Father, that he had a heart-to-heart relationship, a spirit-to-spirit communion, close, intimate, immediate, with an exchange, with conversation with God, where we pray to God, praise God, where God hears us, and on our side that we can also hear the voice of God in our hearts. The purpose of this oneness is, as we sang before, to experience the goodness of God, to have God as a father and to have God as a friend as well, to personally experience his goodness, his love, his grace, and his mercy by entering his presence. Can you imagine the one who had no obligation to reconnect with us, provided the means to reconnect with us, establish a connection, establish oneness through Jesus and is ready to condescend his high and elevated position to enter into our lives and to indwell us as Christians with the Holy Spirit. There is no religion that offers this kind of communion at all. God is no longer a distant God, separated from us, is indwelling us spiritually. And we read in Revelation 21 that this spiritual connection will become physical as at the end of time, God will bring the heavenly Jerusalem on the earth, the new heaven and the new earth, and God, we read in Revelation, behold, the dwelling of God is with men permanently. And we read there all the results that this reunion, will procure for men. The second area needing repair in order to restore this oneness is between men and men. Before the fall again, Adam and Eve were in perfect communion with one another. Their communion was marked by love, by respect, by humility. Uh, You read in the quote-unquote, marriage sections that they were madly in love with one another. After the fall, not only was oneness between God and man broken, but oneness, connection between man and man, between Adam and Eve, was also broken, and a separation took place. Their connection, Adam and Eve's connection and relationship was no longer the same. As it was before. As you read in the text of Genesis chapter 3, there, you start seeing cracks in their relationship. You see that when they were visited by God, they heard God coming to visit them in the garden. We can presume that it was a regular occurrence. But when they heard God coming to visit them, they hid. They hid because they were afraid. They were afraid of punishment, most likely, because they knew they disobeyed. And they started to blame shift their responsibilities for the fall. And they became very defensive with one another. I mean, between Adam and Eve. Rather than being humble, supportive, admitting their guilt before God, that's not what they did. When God asked Adam... How come you know that you're naked? Well, we ate the fruit. Uh, The woman that you gave me gave me the fruit, and I, I hate the fruit. So Adam blamed Eve, and Eve blamed the serpent for their guilt. Isn't that how we are often in our relationship with one another? We shift the blame of responsibilities. We become very defensive. Uh, humility is often not our first response, right? We can be easily become defend, defend, uh, defensive, especially when it comes to our kids. If someone comes and tells us our kids did something, whoa, not my kid, not at all. Pride resides within ourselves and we are defensive instead of being humble. That's the result of the fall. That's the change that took place. Then we see further in the text, further breakdown and the human relationships afterwards. With Cain and Abel, they both offered their offerings to God. Uh, Abel was looked at with favor, Cain was not. Cain became jealous and angry and as a result eventually killed his brother then you read a little bit later as well uh, that things continue to unravel for the world the worst you read about Lamech uh, a descendant of Cain there who because he was wounded by someone killed the person right away and then as you continue to read you see what is happening not just between people, but throughout the herd, The earth was covered with violence. And as a result, the flood came. Since the fall, human relationships started to be tinted with sin, social status, segregation, violence, power trip, power struggle. This is what characterized the relationship between men and men and the world today outside of the church. Unfortunately, sometimes the church is no better. Peace, shalom, oneness has been a very difficult thing to establish between individuals since the fall. Jesus came to restore oneness between man and man by providing an example by himself, but also an example through his own people by creating oneness, leading to unity, harmony, and peace within the people of God. The same text that we read before, Jesus was praying that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, that they may be one as we are one. Jesus wanted unity to rule within the church, between the people of God. How is this going to happen? Well, this unity, this connection, this oneness was provided by the Holy Spirit at our new birth through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which happens at, at conversion. It's not a subsequent event we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, for we were all baptized by one Spirit and to one body. And this baptism of the Holy Spirit provided a bond of peace, a bond of unity, a bond of oneness between the members of the body of Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3, we are called to maintain this bond of unity that was created by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, made every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. How? Through mutual love, mutual respect, humil- humility, so on and so forth. And the purpose of all of this is that, Jesus says, it is a sign to the, the unbelievers. May they be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you send me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. So this bond of unity serves as a witness to uh, those who are outside of the community of faith. It should be so strong and so evident that the people should stop and say, wow, what is happening there? There is something out of the ordinary that is happening between these people. And this is how the church, the early church, started to grow. They were caring for one another. They were loving one another, expressing their love through cares of all and different kinds. And the church kept growing as a result of of what was going on. Much more could be said about this, but we don't have time to cover that. Just think about the Lord's table. The one bread in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17. Celebrate this unity, this oneness that exists in the body of Christ. Third area of life, needing oneness and restoration, is, is with our soul. So that we can sing, it is well with my soul, as we sang before. Oneness with ourself or within ourself. Again, before the fall, we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27, that the man and the woman were created equally. They had the same nature. They were created in the image of God. They were copy being of the person of God. The attributes that God had, they had it. They had them within themselves without infinity and eternity at that point of time, though. They both had dignity, significance. They were perfectly righteous before God. They were in perfect harmony with God, with one another, and with themselves. We read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, that man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They were perfectly okay with that. They saw themselves as God saw them without flaw, and their perfection as created by God. There was no gap between their perception of themselves and how God would see themselves and their true identity given by God, true dignity given by God. They felt no shame about who they were, how they looked. Uh, they were whole or one within, within themselves, not lacking in anything spiritually emotionally, physically, uh, psychologically, mentally. They were connected with all the dimensions of their being. They were totally happy with who they were, as they were. They were accepting themselves as they were, with no problem, no inner tension within themselves. They were totally happy with who they were, not afraid of their true identity, not using any schemes To embellish their self-image. They were experiencing perfect peace. They were experiencing shalom, wholeness, oneness within themselves. At the fall, a great disconnect happened in Adam and Eve's being, their soul. And it brought brokenness within human existence since then, a brokenness that needed to be made whole again. Man was no longer whole within himself and in himself. We read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 to 7, that they started to experience things they never did before. We read about this earlier. They started... Both of their eyes were open, and they realized they were naked. Something happened in their psyche. Something happened in their mind. A fundamental shift happened. They began to experience shame. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They saw themselves in a different light than they were before. Their perception of themselves changed. They used to see themselves as God saw them, but not anymore. Now they saw themselves as somehow inadequate, incomplete, lacking in something, lacking in dignity, worth and value. They felt vulnerable, and as a result, they needed to cover their nakedness. They needed to cover their, what they assigned themselves, their shame. These two fig leaves together and made covering for themselves. In the following verses, we also said before that they, they experienced guilt, When God visited them, they hid. They felt guilty. They also experienced fear and defensiveness. We talked about that earlier. They did not see God in the same manner as they did before the fall. They were afraid of God. So what happened to Adam and Eve also happened to us. The result of the fall did not only plague Adam and Eve, but every one of us was exposed to the same thing. Shame, guilt, and fear are universal experiences. These feelings, these emotions, these experiences are also intensifies with the experience of trauma, whether it is a big T trauma or many small T traumas. We all have Experiences around that. Our mental health, our psychological health, our emotional health, our spiritual health are deeply related with these factors, unaddressed fear, guilt, shame. Shame is a very profound and insidious sense and feeling. Example of it... And how it manifests itself in our lives. Negative thoughts about ourselves. I'm not acceptable as I am. I'm not lovable. Uh, I'm not good enough. Uh, lack of self-esteem. Lack of self-confidence. So on and so forth. As a result, we also feel the need to sow fig leaves to cover our perceived inadequacies. And most of the time this operates at the subconscious level where we feel the need to compensate and embellish our image, sometimes to impress others. Uh, We don't have time to cover other aspects of the fall like self-centeredness and pride also resulting from the fall. Keep that for another time. So inner shalom needed to be reestablished. Because man was no longer whole with himself and in himself. We all have wounds, infirmities of different kinds, of different intensity based on our past experience and life. These wounds and infirmities are related with negative experiences. Sometimes it's just a word that was told to us as we grew up that affected us for the rest of our life unless we start dealing with it. Jesus came to restore our soul, to restore this inner shalom and oneness within ourselves. He came to remove our shame and restore our sense of dignity. He came to take care of our sins, but also of our brokenness. We read in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7, surely he took up our infirmities, our griefs, and carried out our sorrows, yet we consider them punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. I don't think that our infirmities, referred here by Isaiah are only physical, although this is how Matthew quote quote this passage there in Jesus' healing ministry. I think it's wider in scope, and it has to do with wounds and infirmities in our soul that Jesus wants to come and heal. The key for oneness here is to return and connect to our true identity as created by God in his image and also as son and daughter and realize the value that we have in God's eyes as opposed to our perceived value that is much lower very often than how God considers us. This is what the scripture is called, the renewing of our mind. And it's done with putting the truth instead of the lies that we believe in our minds. Replacing the lies with the truth. With the help of the Holy Spirit. With the help of the Word of God. Shalom requires oneness. Oneness between God and man. Between man and man. And with men within themselves. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 says that Jesus is our peace. He is our shalom. In that passage, Paul refers to humanity there, but it is wider than just between men and men. He is our shalom. He is our peace between us and God and for our inner life as well. Let us close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the deep truth that you teach us in scriptures. Truth about our conditions without you. Truth about our condition as a result of the work of Jesus. And we thank you so much for what Jesus has accomplished for us. Reestablishing a connection with you, a connection with one another, and a connection within ourselves as well so that we can be free and express ourselves freely. We are forever thankful for what Jesus has accomplished to us. Give us an understanding of the scope and magnitude of the work that he has accomplished at the cross. In his name we pray. Amen.